Good to be with you today um, as we're going to finish up our series entitled When. So we've been, we've been going through this for a few weeks, and in, in this series we've talked about when are we going to take the land in front of us that God ha- has put, put there for us to take? There's a, there's, a, there's a land of spiritual blessing, of spiritual fulfillment that God's calling us to. And yet, just like the Israelites, as Pastor Brian talked about a few weeks ago, when they were at the edge of the promised land about to go in, there can be some obstacles in the way. There can be some things we have to decide. There can be some things we have to remove. And one of those things we talked about uh, right when we got started about is when are we going to forgive? And for many of us who've said, yes, this year I want to be the year um, that I grow spiritually. I want this to be a year that I connect with God and on a new level and in a way I haven't before. Um, some of us have maybe held on to unforgiveness for too long. And so we dealt with that. And more than just, I want to be a person who forgives, but we also talked about, I want to be a person who's offended less. I want to hold on to things less. And we talked about putting hurdles in the way of that. And then last, uh, last week, Pastor Jaron talked about when are we going to serve? When are we going to serve? And so our faith, when, when is that going to reach action? How are we going to serve others? And we talked about serving in our community, serving in our churches, but having just a lifestyle of service to the Lord. And this week, we're, we're ending with something that you could possibly even put at the beginning of the series. But it's a good question anytime. Uh, and here's the question we're going to talk about today. Just one question, okay? When are you going to settle it? When are you going to settle it? And uh, we're talking about this, our relationship with God. When are things going to be settled? When is it going to be done? And so today, since I'm only asking one question, that's all the sermon is just one question we're going to be dealing with, I'm going to ask you to do one thing with me too, and that's be honest. Can we all agree in this room today we're going to be honest? We're going to be honest inwardly. Okay, so sometimes if you're like me, when I assess myself, even according to scripture, I like to think about all the best parts, okay? I like to think about all the, all the best parts of myself looking inward, but today I'm inviting you, let's just be honest about everything. Let's be honest inwardly. Let's be honest toward God. We're going to end today with a time when we just talk to the Lord because settling it, I'm not asking you to settle anything with me. I'm not asking you to settle anything with Columbus first. I'm asking you, here's one, the one question. Are things settled between you and God? And so I'm going to ask you to be honest inwardly. I'm going to be, ask you to be honest with him. So, but what do I mean by settling it, okay? What do I mean by that? Uh, there's a story that always comes to mind whenever I hear the words, uh, yeah, that settles it or let's settle things. And... Uh, I'm not going to lie, you know, Jaron embarrassed me last week, so I was planning on embarrassing him today, and uh, I'm just going to embarrass myself again, so here we go, you ready? Um, it, it didn't work out the way I wanted. So, back I was uh, 18 years old, there was this really pretty girl, her name was Alyssa, and uh, we, we were in a group of friends, okay, and uh, our, our group of friends, we hung out all the time, all the time, and I really started to develop feelings for Alyssa. I, really, I mean, I really started to like her. And, um, but I was really slow and kind of cautious because um, like in the past, it's like I'd liked someone and then it kind of went away. And I, we had such a close group of friends that I wanted to wait. I wanted to make sure by, like when I told her that I liked her that I knew like, okay, I, I'm going to want to date her because I didn't want to hurt our friendship. And so... Um, 
things had been progressing. Things were going really good, and we were hanging out. They weren't like official dates, but, you know, they were kind of. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm ready to ask her out now. So about a month later, after that, I finally got the courage, okay? And I didn't get the courage, really, in person. What I had to do was we were talking on the phone, and I said, hey, Alyssa, uh, I need to talk to you about something tomorrow, okay? So tomorrow, can we talk about this? She's like, okay. And so that was the plan. So I hung up, and I'm just like, Travis, you idiot. Now you have to say something, because I was really nervous. Like, I know most of you would think, Travis, you were probably really smooth, and I know you'd think that, and you'd be right a lot of the time, but you'd be wrong about this because I could not have handled this really any worse. It was just, so the next day we had this pool party, and all day I'm just thinking like, great, Travis, you locked yourself in. What are you going to tell her? I'm trying to think of like maybe other things I could tell her, like instead of asking her out because I'm nervous. And so we go to this pool party, and afterwards, you know, I take, I take her where every girl would like to go to be asked out. Steak and shake. We go over steak and shake after the pool party. And, and on our way over there, I'm telling her, I'm like, hey, I got to work early tomorrow. We can't be out that late tonight, okay? Um, so we'll just go over there. Won't even get a meal. Just get a coffee, and, and we can kind of talk. She's like, okay. <laughs> so we get to steak and shake, and we sit down. And like, she's talking, but words are just coming in one ear, out the other. I mean, like, I'm barely in this conversation because I'm just thinking about what I have to say. And I'm just drinking coffee after coffee after coffee. I probably had five cups of coffee. And I'm just sitting there, and she's just, she's just looking at me, and, and just, I'm trying to build up the courage. And I finally built up the courage to say, so you probably know, or you may know, uh, that I like you. That's what I said. I mean, man, it took forever to get there. And she goes, she goes, yeah, I knew that. And I go, wait, how'd you know? Side trail, and I do this. I get on like these rabbit trails. And so now I'm down this trail. I just told her I liked her. And now I'm like, wait, how'd you know? And so we start talking about her friend. We get all sidetracked. And, and then, you know, I, you know, I find out she likes me. And so that's the conversation. We, that's it. I, I told her I liked her. I found out how she knew I liked her. Um, and then we left. And we get in the car. And we're driving to her house. And she has to bring up the conversation. She says to me, she says, uh, so um, uh, what are we? And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, we know we like each other. And then, you know, we kind of get in this, it's, it was so awkward, like, for me. I just was like, well, you know, if I was going to date anybody, I'd, uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd want to do a Bible study with them. She's like, well, I'd, I'd like that too. And, uh, you know, I'm like, well, and if I was going to date anybody, I'd, I'd like to make sure, you know, that I know them pretty good, you know. I feel like I know you pretty well. <laughs> and she's like, I feel like I know you pretty well, too. <laughs> and I kid you not, this is, what ended, this is what ended it. I said, well, I guess that settles it. Done deal. It was it. It was settled. We started dating. That was it. Well, I don't even think I officially said, like, we're going out. I just said, well, I guess that settles it. We've been together ever since. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not going to tell you about how I asked her to marry me. It went just about as well. Okay. No, I, I mean, these big moments, I just crumbled. But, but 
there was, you know, it was so funny. We said, well, I guess that settles it. But that means so much because later on, as we were dating, we got to a point where I started thinking, you know what? If things keep progressing, we're going to get married. And, uh, and I could just see we were going that way. So I had to stop and think, am I ready to do that? I'm still young. Am I ready to move in that direction? And so I settled that. And then on our wedding day, it's so funny, this is, story's just kind of been one that we share all the time. Yeah, there, there you go. That, that was our first week of dating. There you go. There's a picture. But um, as we got um, to our wedding, we, we told the pastor the story, and he ended the ceremony with, well, I guess that settles it, right? Because it was settled. But it, it's, it's a funny story, but there's a whole lot of truth tied up in that one little statement. Well, I guess that settles it. Because I didn't realize at the time, but think about it with me. How many questions are answered when you get married? How many questions are settled? They're already decided before they even happen because you've already settled something. And see, this is what happened. This is what happened with me and Alyssa. This is what happened with any of you who are married. Like, my saying yes to her, it's settled. Anytime any girl would show any interest in me, the answer's already no. That's already settled. I'm married. It changed the way I make money decisions, right? I can't just do whatever I want. It changes the way I make all sorts of decisions. And I, even now, when I give premarital counseling, um, with couples who are going to be married, one of the things we talk about is, are you ready and do you understand that getting married, it, it just, it, it brings along with it a loss of freedom. Like there is, you're going to sense in a, in a way a loss of freedom because you are not your own anymore. The two become one. You can't just run out and do anything. And so this one decision to marry Alyssa has settled so many other things. And that's what we're talking about with God today. That's, that's the question I'm asking today. Have you settled things with God? Have, have you settled them? Or is it done? Has there been one decision that now impacts a multitude of decisions you have to make? Is there one decision that's been made that impacts a, a multitude of options you might have? Does it narrow things down for you? Has that happened with you and with Christ? So today, um, I want, we're going we're gonna to talk about two passages in Scripture where these kind of moments are brought forward. They're, they're settle it moments. Um, and the first is in Joshua. Okay, it's in Joshua 24. So you can flip there if you're following along in your Scripture. But this passage is actually the end. We're going to be talking about the end of Joshua's life. Okay, so those of you who know Joshua, here's who he was. Um, he was uh, Moses' secondhand man. And so all the time in the wilderness, Joshua was there. When Moses got the tablets with the, with the Ten Commandments, Joshua was there. He had seen the best of the people of Israel, and he had seen the worst, right? I mean, he'd seen how God, you know, spoke in, in this cloud, and he'd seen the, the commandments given in the law, and yet at the same time in the camp, he came down and he saw that the people had made this golden calf they were worshiping. He'd seen them come all the way up to the promised land and yet not enter in. 
He was actually one of the spies that went into the land and came back and said, man, the promised land that God has for us is a really good land. It's really good. He went in there and he saw it all and he came back out. He was, one, he was with one of them and everybody else, 10 of the spies, just Joshua and Caleb gave a good report. Everyone else gave a bad report. He watched them disobey God. He watched them turn. He, watched, he, he went in the wilderness with them. He watched that generation die off. The people who made those decisions didn't enter the promised land. But God said, I'm going to keep Joshua. Joshua's going to go, and so is Caleb. These two who said we can go. And so he did. And then he led them into the promised land. God led them, and they took all these, they took all that God had promised them. At the end of Joshua, it says, not a single promise um, that the good Lord had given them was left unfulfilled. God had fulfilled his promises, and he'd seen it all, and he's at the end of his life, and he calls everybody together. He calls everybody together, and this generation that had inherited the promises, he calls them together, and he renews the covenant. What that means is he brings them together, and he says, this is what God has said. This is what he's calling us to do. These are, he's blessed us. He's done these things. He's calling us to serve him. And then he's, he says this in uh, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Okay, let's read these together. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so here's what Joshua does. He acknowledges that these are people who have been, up to this point, serving the Lord. Right? They had, I mean, they had inherited the promises of God. They had been serving the Lord. It would have been like a group of people raised in church. It would have been like a group of people who have been raised around Christ and been serving him, but he calls them together, and he says this, you have options. You don't have to keep serving the Lord. He recognizes that. Like, there are other options out there. They're not good. They're false. But he, he talks about them. He says, you could serve the gods of this land. You could serve the gods that our ancestors served. And what's amazing, what's amazing about where this takes place is it takes place in a town called Shechem. That's where he calls them and he charges them to do this. Now, what's interesting about that is that's not the place you would typically do this. You would typically do this at Shiloh where you would call everyone together. And the, the, the reason the scholars think he did that, did that is because Way long ago, their ancestor, Jacob. Everybody heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, so which, is, which became the people, okay, the 12 tribes born from him, in Shechem, when he, was, when he was traveling through there, he told his family, he says, hey, we're getting rid of all of our idols. And they buried them under a tree in Shechem. And so they think Joshua may have come here to give this speech to tell the people, listen, there are temptations. There are other people you could serve. 
the, the gods of this land, and that's kind of how they viewed gods almost in a sense of that way, that the Amorites served, there's going to be a temptation to follow them. There's going to be a temptation to do the practices that they did. And so he calls them, but he says, serve the Lord and serve him alone. And the people respond, and they say, we will serve the Lord. Um, and, and, it's, and it ends up being a really good thing. And it says that generation continues to follow God, and it's really good. Um, and we're going to come back to this, but I want to I skip forward a few hundred years to another situation. So this is the first one. Serve the Lord. You've got other options. The multitude of people was serving God, but he says, make it firm. Settle it. A few hundred years later, we fast forward to a man called Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. And let me tell you, the king of Israel at that time was not serving God. His name was Ahab, and Ahab was a bad dude. Ahab, it says, he was the worst king yet. Apparently some got worse a little bit later on, but he was the worst king yet. And to make things worse, he married a, he married a girl named Jezebel. And Jezebel served Baal. Baal is a false god. And what she did was she had a temple built to Baal, her and Ahab. They had an altar built in that temple. They built an Asherah pole, another way to serve the false gods of that time. And not only that, but things began to get really hard and really bad for the people of Israel who were supposed to be the people of God. What happened was this. They started killing the prophets they started doing all these things, and it was wicked. And you can imagine, it would be a very different time from when Joshua made this charge. Because at this time, if you, if you stepped out and said, I'm going to serve the God and I'm going to serve him alone, I mean, you could, you could potentially be killed for it. But most certainly, it would impact your social life. Most certainly, it would impact probably your job, your standing. No doubt, because as you stepped out and said, I'm going to serve the God and serve him alone, you, you separated yourself from what the, the kingdom was pushing at that time, which was the, which was the Baal worship. And, and that's, that was the situation. And so what happens? God sends Elijah, and God sends a drought. He says it's not going to rain for three years. And Elijah goes and announces this to the king. And uh, I want you to know all, the, all that God was doing here, it's discipline because he loves them. Way later on in the story, Elijah comes back and God says, and Elijah prays, Lord, would you come? Would you show up? Would you, would you bring this fire so that the people will know you're turning their hearts back to you? See, God cared about him, so he sends this drought. He sent discipline. And, and maybe that's the thing that I don't really like to talk about too much, but I have experienced the Lord bringing discipline in my life to get my attention. Has God ever got your attention with something that wasn't ideal? You ever gone through something, you say, I wish I didn't go through that, but you look back and see that God used that in your life? That's what he's doing here. So he says there's going to be a drought, and Elijah announces it, and it lasts for three years. Elijah leaves the scene. He comes back three years later, because God says, hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to send rain again. He comes back three years later, and in 1 Kings 18, we pick up, we've got the scripture up here, and he's going to meet with Ahab. Here's what, here's what happens. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. 
Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. But then I want you to know, so he's got all the prophets together. They've got all these leaders, but that's not who Elijah talks to you. See, a bunch of people were gathered there too, not just the prophets. And look what Elijah says to him. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So on the one hand, when Joshua spoke, the people responded, yeah, we're gonna serve God, we're gonna serve God. But here, here Elijah shows up, and he, he says to the people, he gets them up there, and he says, how long are you gonna go on wavering between two different opinions? And, and, the, and the, that word waver really means almost to limp or to hobble. That's how one translation says it. It says, how long are you gonna hobble back and forth between two opinions? See, You've got a choice. Is the Lord God, and when he says Lord, he's saying Yahweh, he's using the name for God. Is Yahweh God or is Baal God? Whoever is God, serve him. Why would you go back dancing back and forth between the two? And see, when, when he shows up, God ends up showing up in a powerful way. See, God, God comes and he, and he speaks to the people through fire because he wants to show them that he's God. He wants to show them that he's real. They, they have this demonstration set up with two altars, and Baal calls on their God, or the prophets of Baal call on their God to see if he can answer, to see if he can bring fire, to see if he can do anything, and he can't. So then Elijah on his side, he covers his sacrifice in water, and he calls upon the Lord. He calls upon the true God, the living God, and he answers with fire. And it's, like I said earlier, he, it says he did that because he wanted to turn the people's hearts back to him. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to turn their hearts back to him. And this is what God wants to do with us today. And a couple of these passages, I bring them forth because I, I can relate with them. I've been in some of these situations. I have been the person hobbling between two opinions. Is, is, is Jesus Lord? Is he Lord? Or are these other things God? And we have a different view of God today. I, I don't know very many people. I've, in fact, I can only think of one or two people I've ever met who believe that there are multiple gods, okay? That was, the, that was the temptation. That was the struggle they had that day. We don't really, there's not too many who believe that. But there are a whole lot of people who don't believe Jesus is God. There's a whole lot of people who don't believe Jesus is Lord. There's a whole lot of people who say, hey, you shouldn't pray in Jesus' name. And I brought up these two stories because they show us the difference between a couple generations, but the question is the same. Because for some of us in this room, when we grew up, probably the majority of people we knew at least professed that they served God. That, that's the way it was in this country. That's the way it was for a long time. That the majority of people growing up, the majority of people you went to school with would say, I'm serving God. But there's a generation now that they, they can't say that, right? 
I mean, I work with the teens. I know what it's like in their schools. I know what it's like with the people around my age. And let me tell you, you couldn't say the majority of people are serving God. You couldn't say that. But see, here's the thing. In both generations, the question is this. I'm not asking what everyone else is doing. What are you going to do? When are you going to settle it with God? When are you going to settle things? And see, to settle it, it's when's it going to become firm? You know, I think about like when something sets in concrete or when you, when you set a post, a post that anybody could pick up can hardly be moved once it's set in the ground. When, are, when, is, when is this decision going to be made? And so what's, what's the question? What are we settling? What we're settling is this. Is God going to be the first decision in my life. I want you to think about that with me. I know, I know, you know, many, many of you in this room have probably settled things a long time ago. I know that. And that's good, and praise God. And I, I hope this will be an encouragement to you. But I know there's others in this room who are like I was for a long time, who come to church and who are apart, but are stuck kind of in the middle kind of in between. It's like I want to serve God, but there's these other things that make it hard, and I kind of waver back and forth. And I was there for a long time. So settling things with God, sometimes it can be confusing because we say, like, well, I believe in God. Is that, is that what we're talking about? No. Settling with God is this. Make God a first decision in your life. Let's go back to the example I gave earlier about um, Alyssa and myself. Marrying Alyssa that's what I would call a first decision. Meaning, it, it's not going to be changed. There's nothing about this decision that's going to change. So any decision that follows that decision that would make me change that, I'm not going to do. Does that make sense? All other decisions follow this one decision. And so, now there's a whole lot of decisions like, what am I going to eat for lunch? That typically, that won't impact my first decision, I don't think. Okay? But there are other decisions that I have to make. Like, for instance, my wife and I, we just have a rule like, hey, we don't, we're not going to be alone with someone of the opposite sex. We don't want to compromise the first decision. Okay? It's not like it's a sin to be, but we're just not going to be one-on-one with someone of the opposite sex. That's a first decision. And so everything else follows that. I'm sure, certainly not going to date someone because I'd have to change my first decision to do that. So when did, when did God become a first decision for you? When did you settle it? And I want you to think back. Has that been settled? Saying, I'm going with God. So the other decisions I have to make in my life, I want them to reflect that. Like, for some of us, it can be hard, and we sit at this moment of indecision, just like the people did with Elijah, because we know, we know that if I was really going to settle it and make it a first decision in my life, I'm going to serve God first that something on down the line, uh, there's a decision that would have to change that would be pretty difficult. It'd be pretty difficult to change, right? For some of us, I mean, let's be honest, some of us, we'd have to change maybe a relationship or at least maybe the terms of it. I know a lot of people, that's been the sticking point. I had a really good friend who wanted to serve God, but he knew the relationship he was in needed to change. And, he, and, he, and he's, he couldn't do it for the time. And it, it was a stumbling block to him. So for some of us, 
It's not that we don't want to change something, but we wonder if we can change. Maybe you're struggling with some, some addiction or struggling with some sin, and you've tried to change before, and you can't change. It's like, it's like it's not working, and so you try to fix that so you can fix the beginning. And let me tell you, though, you've got to make your first decisions first. What do I mean by that? What I mean is you can't try and fix yourself first so that your first decision then makes sense. Like, I can't be like, well, I'm gonna fix, I'm gonna fix this sin and then God will love me. I'm gonna fi fix this sin and then God will accept me. What I'm asking you to do today is settle the first thing and let everything else fall where it may. Settle the first thing. If you get the first thing first, everything else will fall into place. And I, I, believe, because, I, I believe that a lot of the reason that in the world and in the church that we can live without some of the blessing God wants us to have is because we've just got God too far down the line. See, because God wants to pour out blessing on your life. He does, I'm telling you, he does. And even when he sent that drought to Israel, I'm telling you, God wanted to bless those people. But he couldn't, could he? He couldn't bless them where they were. He sent the drought to get their attention. He sent Elijah to turn their hearts back to him. He wanted to bless them. And this is, this is a theme all throughout Scripture that God wants to bless. He wants to. But we can honestly, sometimes with where we put God, we can tie his hands. We can hold him back from the blessing he wants to give us. But let me tell you, when you settle things with God, he doesn't wait he doesn't wait until like, you're, you're, you feel like you're where you need to be. He immediately opens the floodgates. I'm serious. He opens the floodgates and things start flowing into your life that you've been missing. Things that we need. And the three we're gonna talk, to, talk about today are just three of many because the scripture says this, every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. It says that in Corinthians. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. If you're in a situation and you need God to move and you turn to Christ, the, the answer is yes. God is there. He can move. He can do these things. But th the three things we're going to talk about, just real quickly, is grace, direction, and peace. And we're going to talk about those three things because those are three things that I was missing before I've made God first. Those are three things a lot of us can miss when God's somewhere down the line that, and, and he's not a first decision in our life. And so God wants to give us these things, okay? So this is, what I want you to, this is what I want you to do with me. As we think about these things, I want you to think about how this has played out in your life. Remember, we're gonna be honest. We're gonna be honest today. And so some of us, there's a couple things that can happen. Some of us have settled it with God. But we didn't realize the full blessing that God wants to bring to us. And he can, open, he can open our eyes maybe to some promises in his word today. I believe he could do that. And for others of us, it may shine the light on something that's been missing, something that you need, something that I need, something I count on God for daily. So we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna start with grace. Let's talk about grace for a second. This is the very first thing you're gonna experience when you settle things with God. And I'd even tell you this, even before you've settled things with God, you've experienced his grace. Because he loves you, he pursues you even when you're not walking with him. But let me tell you, the fullness of God's grace is realized when you say, God, I'm putting you first. 
God, I want what you have. Then you can experience the fullness of what God has. But grace is two-sided. There's two sides of grace. And I don't know, every time I flip it over, you know, if it's a coin, I think that side's better than the last. It's so good. And the first thing about grace is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Listen to this verse in Psalm 103, 10 to 13. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Who wants to be treated as their sins deserve? Raise your hand. Okay, you neither. Will repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen. Praise God. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Because one of the things that we can feel like disqualifies us, or a reason I can't settle it, is because of my past. Sometimes we feel like, to this point, I have done so many things wrong. Even maybe in the present, there's an area of my life where I'm living, I'm living in that I just know, you know, Travis, when you said God can't bless it, I know I'm making this decision and God can't bless it. So you think, because maybe because of that, you think, man, God could never bless me. No way. No way. That God does not disqualify you. His arms are open. Wherever you are, if you're struggling with something, I want you to know that if, if you settled it with God today, that would be in the past. It would be in the past. You know, if you want to serve in our nursery here, you got to have a background check. We, t- we heard about it on the things. If you want to serve in the, in, with teens and stuff, you got to have a background check. You know what? If you want to receive forgiveness, you don't need a background check. You don't need it. God's not looking back. Okay, if you want to receive Christ as Savior, he doesn't care. You don't have to bring any references. All you have to do is come and say, God, you know the worst about the background check. You know the worst of it, and I bring it to you. And he will forgive. He can give you a fresh start. And that's what he does. That's what, that's what Jesus is all about. No, no background check, no requirements. I mean, you just come and he'll forgive. And then there's a second part of grace. And like I said, it's just as good. It's, it's awesome because not only will God forgive you, but he will enable you to change. See, this is what kept me from coming to God for a while. I said, God, I, I, I know I needed him. I know I wanted him as my savior, but I didn't realize that he could help me change. I thought I had to change myself. But listen to this passage from Titus 2. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And if I could tell you this, as a high schooler, the very last words I would use to describe myself are self-controlled, upright, and godly. But that's what it says. It says the grace of God has appeared. It offers salvation to everyone, but it also teaches us. He enables us to change. Like God can change the unchangeable in you. Do you believe that? I'm convinced about it. I I, I can't say enough about it. I, I mean, we live in a world with no grace. I mean, if you're on social media, you know grace is pretty hard to come by. 
I mean, we find something that someone did 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, and we say, that's who you are. That's not what grace does. Now, aren't you thankful for grace? Even if the world has no grace, God offers grace. It doesn't say, it says, who were you 10 years ago? I don't even remember, for number one. And two, you're different now because of grace. Like, it, he enables us to change. The Jesus who came to forgive your sins came to save you from your sins. It's the two sides of grace, and it's the best thing ever. And we could just end right now, but we're not going to. Because God's not done with blessing yet. He's not done. He offers grace. So if you're here today and you haven't settled things with God, you think, why would he take me? I've messed up too many times. I've messed up recently. I messed up today. I messed up yesterday. I've been living this life for a while now. I don't know that I can change. Let me tell you, God can he can forgive you. He can change you. And that, that door is open. That door is open. So, but next, let's talk about direction, okay? Direction. So God gives us peace, or God gives us grace, but God also gives us direction. And, and I want you to know, guys, direction from God is a promise. It is. It's a promise. And for some of you, maybe you've settled it with God a long time ago, but this could be the very thing you need to hear today. Because maybe you're struggling with, with a decision you have to make. Maybe you're wondering where to go. Maybe there's some in this room who are like, I was, I definitely faced this for a season where I didn't really know where I was going or why I was going there. Kind of like a compass with no true north, just kind of spinning around, chasing after the next thing. But let me tell you, God wants to give your life direction. He leads his people. So there's a psalm, and, and if, you're, if you're someone who's saying, yeah, you know, I've got a couple areas in my life where I'm, I need the Lord to bring direction, I wanna, I'd encourage you to read this psalm later. It's Psalm 25. We're pulling three verses from there, but it's so good. Okay, so if, you want, if you're looking for direction, read Psalm 25. There's some promises in there for you. But look, let's look at this verse here, Psalm 25, 8. We're going to look at three verses about God's leadership. Here it is. It says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Wait a second. I thought we were talking about people who had settled it, right? Sinners haven't settled it, but let me tell you, God is so good that he reaches out to people who aren't walking with him. And he says, this is the way. This is the way. Now, you're definitely not going to get the same direction that a Christian's getting. I'm telling you, we're going to see that farther down. But let me tell you, God instructs us in the right way. And you know what? When we're not living for God, a lot of times we call it conviction. Right? Maybe it's, maybe it's today. Maybe you're saying, I haven't settled it. That's God instructing you. Maybe there's an area or something that needs to change. God will instruct you. I mean, I'm thankful that God didn't wait for me to just figure it out when I was lost, but he came after me. So even people who aren't walking with God, God says, hey, let me show you the way. But he takes it further. Okay, verse 9, it says this. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So he takes it further, like I said. If you humble yourself before God, he's not just going to show you his ways, but he's going to teach you what is right. He's going to teach you how he sees things. He, you're going to begin to see things more like he does. And that's part of how grace works in us, too, as he begins to direct us. But look at this promise in verse 12. Here's what it says. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the way they should choose. 
God will do that. In a world that, like, I see, like we were talking about, seems at times there's no direction. There's no direction. We don't know where we're going. And sometimes it seems like we can just like go find entertainment and find these kind of things. And at the end of the day, we wonder, what did I accomplish today? Where am I going? And sometimes, if we're honest, remember we promised we'd do that. If you're like me, sometimes I, I, have, I get to the end of the day and say, where am I going? Why am I here? What is my purpose? But God will teach you his ways. He can begin to give you a purpose. And this promise here in verse 12, I've got this circled in my Bible. Who then are those who fear the Lord? Guess what? God will instruct them in the way they should choose. You know, I've got a circle in my Bible on that, on that one, and I put a date next to it at a later time. And that date was when I came here to be interviewed with the board, because I didn't know what to do. I was gonna be meeting with the church board, and, and I, I said, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to go. Well, one, I didn't know if they'd offer anyway. And I said, God, if you, they don't do that, that'll just make it easier. But I don't know if I'm supposed to go. And see, when I settled things with God, part of what I settled was I'm not gonna go my own way anymore. I'm gonna go where he wants to go. But in order for me to do that, I gotta have direction. And so I put a date in there and I said, God, you're gonna show me. Some of our board members maybe remember. I, I quoted it. I said, well, I just know God's going to show me because I just believe in his direction. So God wants to give you direction for your life. Maybe you're, maybe you're a young person today and you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Can I tell you God can give you direction? He can. Maybe you're in high school. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're at a time where you're saying, I don't know what to do about college. Or maybe you're looking for a career. I don't know what to do about that. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking about a spouse. Maybe you're thinking about I mean, all sorts of things. When you settle it with God and you bring things to him, let me tell you, he will bring direction. He does. That's who he is. But the last thing I want to talk about is peace. Peace. So God gives grace and direction. Those are so good. But can we talk a minute about peace? Because peace is the thing that I believe we are most robbed of when things aren't settled between us and God. I say that from my own life, of when I knew there was a couple areas of my life where I was living in a way that God couldn't bless. And yeah, I could keep pretty busy during the day, but maybe you've been there, you lay down at bed at night and there's no peace. You're unsettled. The scripture makes it clear. The scripture says this, there is no peace for the wicked. It says that in Isaiah 59. You might say, I'm not wicked. Well, you know, wicked, that's not a word we use anymore, but all it means is guilty of sin. There's no peace for those who are guilty of sin. And there's not. Not when you know God. Not when, not when you've heard about him. Not when he's brought some things to life. That's why we experience conviction at times because God's wanting to bring us out of that. That's even why at times God showing us something that needs to change can feel like a weight. Anybody ever felt a weight before from their sin? I've felt that weight. And I've gone to bed at night with no peace. I didn't know what peace was hardly. I, mean, I remember when I finally just gave everything to Christ. And I can't say that it happened in a second. Some people say, well, it happened for me in a second. 
But I just remembered a week later, walking lighter. There was peace. And the scripture says that there's peace with God. We have peace with God when he justifies us. And what does that mean? He takes our sin and our guilt. So we're all guilty of sin, but guess what? For anybody who's walking with Christ, that's removed. Remember what we talked about in Psalm 103? That's as far as the east is from the west. And you can have that peace again. And part of the reason that peace comes is because we've experienced his grace. Part of the reason that peace comes is because he's given us direction. And a lot of times when we don't know where to go, that can kind of rob us of our peace but the main reason that we experience that peace when we come to Christ is because of what he said. In John 14, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, I was preparing this message and certainly wasn't um, planning on going this route, but I had the rare opportunity to get to join one of our Wednesday night groups. If, if you've never been, they're great. I mean, I encourage you to go. Um, and uh, as I sat in there, they were talking, they're going through a series called Fearless. And in this series, what I just so happened to sit down, and the, the session they were talking about is not being afraid of dying. No longer being afraid of meeting God. No longer being afraid of what comes next. And I was already preparing my sermon, and I thought, wow, that's exactly what I'm talking about with this peace. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a peace that if I thought, you know what? If, if it was all to end, I'm looking forward to meeting God. I'm at peace. I know God's going to take care of the things I can't take care of. But you know what? I'm at peace. There's a rest there. And there's an assurance there. There's not some, I hope I make it, or I hope that God cares, but there's a peace that settles in from the Holy Spirit living inside of you, ministering to you, that every believer can have. And I want you to have. And so today, as we close, it's real simple. Remember, I told you, we're just asking one question today. These things we talked about, they're kind of just a guide to help show us what God will bring and what God wants us to experience. But the question is, have you settled it? Has Christ become a first decision? I love the, that passage in Joshua because he gives them a decision and before he hears their reply, he says this, but as for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord. I, I don't know what you, you'll do. I know many of you are already serving the Lord. Mo, uh, probably most of you have settled it a long time ago. And I can't tell you how many of you have been an encouragement to me in my walk. But you know what? Your decision doesn't settle it for me. I'm settling it myself. My parents settled it a long time ago. Praise God. That didn't settle it for me though. I had to settle it myself. And so we're going to have Pastor Nathan and Brandon come, and we're just going to do a song. And I'd encourage, I'd like all of us to respond in some way. You can stay at your seat and pray, 
You, we're going to sing a song. It's just, I've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to stand and worship. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. The altars are open. You can do that. Maybe you want to sit at your seat and just be honest with God and offer it up. We're just going to do a couple verses, but this is a time for you and I to settle it. If you've settled it, look back. Thank God. If you haven't, today could be the day. And let me tell you, you could walk out of this place with the first fruit portion, I mean, of what, just the beginning touches of the grace God wants you to have, the direction he wants to give you. And you can go to bed with peace. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to respond and however you'd like and then we're gonna close in prayer, okay? Father, I thank you for each person in this room. Lord, I thank you for the many testimonies across this room of people who've settled it years ago. And Lord, I pray that if you're speaking to us, there's something that needs settled in our hearts, something we need to turn from, something we need to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.